0: And mighty dapper in that beige suede vest, sir. I just wanted to oh, just wanted to tell you that right out the thank gate.
1: Thank you. The lady at the store told me it would make me more presentable,
0: huh? Presentable. Now, did she tell you to wear just the vest and nothing else, like you're currently doing at this moment, or or what exactly did she sh- did she say? Okay, I, I need specifics. And presentable to who and for what? Actually, well, first, sir, distress your breasts. All right. <laughs> soothe your boobs hakuna your tatas my tatas are none of your business my friend secondly
1: she said i could wear this vest and i'd be more presentable she did not specify on how i should wear it or what i should wear it with
0: well it is a nice vest and i'm glad you're sitting down over there at least six feet away from me well you know by the end of the show i'll be sitting pretty much right
1: next to you and we'll be sharing that microphone
0: oh well one can only hope Wink, wink. (laughs) Did you just touch my ass? Oh. Well, we'll talk about it later. Today's story is a little different than what we've been doing. Right. It's a little different than all the murder, death, mayhem. Just a small deviation from it. That is because here at the Paranautica Podcast, we cover all sorts of
1: different topics.
0: Serial killers, paranormal stuff, murderous pets. Watch out for your chickens and camels and strange disappearances. You know, some weird attic stuff, sure. too, feces and the French police oh, oh, dining on the floor of a crime scene. You remember that one. Oh, yeah. That was great.
1: And we'll be covering much more than that as the show progresses, much as it you know, has been progressing since
0: day one and much as it's been progressing so far today. Correcto, Coop. Because today we are covering a topic that I fucking love more than my own childhood blanket. I
1: bet. I bet. The stains on that thing are absolutely horrendous. And it's fucking torn up worse than the name Rip Torn implies, and it fucking stinks worse than this hospitalized data
0: in belgium this one time man that was straight up sewer it was bad all right first off to respond to what you just said my blankie has cured more ailments solved more world issues and judged more contests than you could ever (laughs) ever hope to do in your pathetic life hit me hard come on man that's my blankie you're talking about all right let's let's show a little respect okay
1: well I do believe your mechanics reg has a name right oh okay you, you gave right. this childhood blankie of yours a name at some point
0: in its disgusting life like any proud parent right <sighs> well I wish you uh wouldn't have been hitting below the belt there that's pretty embarrassing Hey, you brought the topic of your blankie up, you know, as you called it, not I. Yeah, but all I was trying to segue into was the topic of today's episode. Me naming my blankie did not actually have to be mentioned. That was a secret, man. Top secret. It was best left a secret. Now the whole world knows about it that I named my childhood blankie. Okay, I named it, people. All right, I named it, okay? I named it. Hey, dude, don't be embarrassed about it. It's completely
1: normal. Children name all sorts of inanimate objects, like they're blanky and even sometimes their own
0: shit. It's fine.
1: (sighs) Yeah, I suppose. So, what is its name?
0: Ugh, god damn you, man. It is Zordon. Zordon.
1: Yes, Zordon. From the fictional real-life stories depicted on the Power Rangers? Yes, the very same. Sweet. (laughs) Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Zordon is the name of Scott's childhood blankie.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Let me hear it. Thank you for that, Coop. I'm sure the people will absolutely go crazy over that piece of information. Really life-changing stuff here on this podcast. Life-changing. Well, I think the fans will go crazy over that piece of information. I can actually guarantee that. <laughs> well, with how awesome our fans are, I'd say you probably aren't wrong there, exactly. sir.
1: Well, all right. Well, you know, I'm sorry for one thing. I'm sorry for cutting you off as you were about to tell the audience what today's topic is. Oh,
0: yes, yes. Today's episode is a good one. A great one. One of our best. Oh, really? Yes. We are going to go way back in time and discuss some ancient sightings of UFOs. Oh, cool, man. And uh, where will we be going? to cover this episode we will be going to the distant paradise known for its expansive lush green fields its scenic coastlines picturesque villages small towns cambodia no <laughs> all right here maybe some more descriptors could help right there's lots of red hair lots of fair skin and a lot of beer being consumed oh easy that's uh... yep that's right ireland <laughs> oh, man, that's right ireland and I kid, apparently about 10% of the population of Ireland has red hair. Oh. <laughs> That's not really a lot of red, you know what I'm saying? What is the population, though? It's reported to be around 5.2 million, so... So, 520,000
1: people have red hair in... Ur- Ur- Ur.
0: um, That sounds like a lot of red hair. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It, it is. It's actually where all the red hair for uh, wigs comes from. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Don't they uh, just collect it from all the barbershops? Yes, exactly. Ed Sheeran, um, Rupert Grint. Yeah. Uh, oh, they uh, wear wigs made of red hair imported from Irish barbershops? Yep.
0: But let's consider the United States. There are around 334.2 million people here, but only one to two percent of the population has red hair.
1: And that, let's just say that's 2%. Yeah,
0: yeah. Roundup for sure. Give it to them. They yeah. deserve it at least. Yes. Yes, yes. yes. So that comes to like
1: 6,684,000 people, right?
0: Um, Yeah, give or take. About 6.7 million people in the United States. Having red hair. The reddest fucking hair you can imagine, too. It's very red.
1: Well, I guess the bigger question here is, uh, and I know the listeners are wondering this as well, do they have souls? Because I've heard an awful lot of discussions and accusations, both in the public square and all over the World Wide Web, that imply that redheads don't have souls. I don't know. And I think (laughs) we should clear that up right now, right now, right
0: here on the show. What do you think? You know what? I think you're right. I think now is a great time to clear that up. So... First of all, I think we should ask the question, do humans have souls? You know, if we're going to approach this in a logical and scientific way. Hmm. Do you know the answer to that?
1: No, I can't be certain one way or the other if what is understood more or less as a soul, if we have those. I want to believe that we do because honestly, it fucking kind of scares me to think that we don't. So I can't give you a firm yes or no one way or the other.
0: Right. So the next question would then be, do people with red hair have souls. Can you answer that question?
1: Hmm. No. Considering that I can't be certain if humans in general have souls, I also cannot answer as to whether people with red hair have souls (laughs) or if they are entirely devoid of
0: such. Well, then, human beings who have either had the blessing or the curse of being born with red hair may or may not have what is commonly understood under religious thought study and belief to be a, quote, soul But to take it one step further, let's just say this. To those who are religious in, say, the Christian or Catholic faith, they would say that, yes, redheads do, in fact, have souls.
1: Wow, man. That's a lot of information to absorb in such a short amount of time. Holy shit.
0: I know. I know. It's heavy. It's a lot to take in. You know what else is a lot to take in? However one wishes to take in said thing. I'm talking about taking in. Oh, hmm, what's that? The world famous segment that has people blowing gaskets and going bananas. Oh, yeah. What is that thing? That's, uh, um, what is that? <laughs> it's the international media hit taking the entire world over by storm. That's right. This is Trey Portray. Zunzo babbitts <laughs> Our first story comes to us from, you guessed it, beautiful Gainesville, Florida. Nice. A woman smeared poop on a church and defaced a cop car. Now, why did she do that, man? Wow. I am interested. I know. Well, apparently, the 40-year-old Barbara J. Phillips did so, to the church at least, because she accused the pastor of said church for attacking her mentally via the spirit realm. (laughs) <laughs> All right, yeah, okay, continue. Yeah, yeah, so she had some demons she was wrestling, apparently. Ouch, so, man. And um, what the pastor was the one, he's like, sicking demons on her, like, go get her, go get her. I guess, yeah, I don't know, uh, you know, obviously, you know, maybe some mental instability there, oh, which, yeah. uh, you know. But in revenge, apparently, for these alleged psychic res- assaults, she smeared poop on the front doors of the church, and the door handles as well, and she also turned the power off. But... Hmm. The weirdest part, maybe beyond all that is that she left fingernails at the scene. Um, fingernails, her own, someone else's. No, I believe these were her own uh, fingernails, which bizarrely is the clue that allowed police to link her to the defacing of a cop's house. There was a police officer who, I don't know, he must've wronged her in some way. The article doesn't really specify, but she attacked his patrol car Attacked his home, did some damage to the uh, welcome post. She threw it down the street. She broke an air conditioning unit that was attached to the window of the uh, officer's house. And she even damaged his vehicle. But just as bizarrely as the second incident, she left fingernails. At the crime scene, which uh, wow. actually led to her arrest.
1: That's her little modus operandi or her, her
0: signature yes. thing? Like it's a trademark move? That is the MO. Um, but, you know, despite all that, she was only charged with stalking, criminal mischief, and damaging church property. Okay. So, I mean, that's really, I don't know. I don't really see her uh, having to do too much time for that. You know, her bond was only $27,000 after everything was and done. Well, up. that's a stinky situation. Yeah. She just, I guess she just couldn't mentally do it, you know? Dang. She just, like, gave up. Speaking of which, that brings us to our next story, which oh, also yeah. was from Florida. All right. This time from Vero Beach. Apparently, 31-year-old Amber Warner in a country kitchen parking lot attempted to abandon her two-year-old son in front of a nice couple in the parking lot blah 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 what yeah she was quoted as saying i can't do it and then she placed her son on the floor in front of the couple got into a truck and drove away man she just left the kid there headed out bro holy fuck man yeah like, no it's it's uh, the 2-year-old
1: knows what's going on like they know what's happening around them and shit
0: yeah it's it's just like i i there's too much to unpack there um but apparently and it doesn't really go on to say um, how they traced her back to her home, but they did manage to trace her to her home where she was hiding out. Okay, uh, She was, of course, apprehended, uh, but the police did say that she non-violently resisted said arrest. Non-violently? Um, but they... Took the child into custody, into protective state custody, I should say, which was in relatively good health. There's nothing wrong with the kid. Damn, man. Yeah, don't leave your kids, man. That's, That's like, just not cool. What
1: was going on? Um that one lady you were talking about in a previous tray portray, right? She
0: was trying to sell no buy a kid. Yes, she was trying to purchase a child from another lady. Like at a Walmart or something. In a- yeah, I believe they were in line waiting to pay. It was like self-checkout or something at the Walmart, and I think the lady said something weird like I would totally buy your kid off of you. And the lady was like, "Okay, that's weird." And then the lady was like, "No, seriously. How much do you want for your kid? I'm I'll oh buy your God. I'll buy your kid from you." And then I believe she even approached her in the parking lot with a blank check or something like that and was like, "No, seriously." I want to buy your two-year-old. It was like a that boy, is so messed up. Oh, like two-year-old, bro. two-year-old son or something, something. super weird dude. Wow, that, I think that crazy. was in
1: Florida, wasn't it?
0: I believe that was also in Florida. Man, these people need to cool off. Just yeah, drink some on water. There? Just like take a chill. You know what is happening? Which brings me to my next and final story. Damn you. Drinking water. That is apparently. A robber from St. Mary, Georgia is wanted uh, for allegedly robbing a GameStop while disguising himself as a six-pack of water bottles. <laughs> how that does he do crazy, that? That is crazy, bro. So I know, I know people are like, how, how do you dis- uh, disguise yourself as a water bottle? Well, in the picture, A six-pack of water bottles. Yes. A, <laughs> yeah, how do you do pack. that? The pictures show him, cover. he's like all covered up his head uh, by a plastic package you know, oh, okay. so obviously the water bottles aren't in there, but it's a plastic Dasani package. He just, like, poked his head in there. He's, like, looking through it, you know, just, like, bobbing right. right. through yeah. the store, like, looking out of this water bottle thing. I'm like, wow. So, he just took all the
1: bottles out of, of, like, a 24-pack thing and just took that plastic wrap, put it put it over his head, and that's how he disguised himself as a six-pack?
0: Yeah, just shoved his head in there, and he's like, oh, they'll never <laughs> they'll never get me, man, you know? Wow. Um, Interesting. So... The thing is, like this GameStop that he was attempting to burgle had tons of security cameras from all different angles. They got his face so well, his frame so well, there's just like, yeah, he there's there's no way. Um, they they released the description. He was apprehended very shortly afterwards. Apparently this man named Keith Carey has two previous active felony warrants asking for his arrest, also for burglary and criminal damage. Dang. So, I mean, you know, this guy was, he was headed down a bad road, my friend, Uh, but, you know. Not, yeah, not effective. Yeah. Wow. Not effective uh, uh, camouflage, but, you know, as they say, it's all water under the bridge now. Hey. (laughs) Yeah. Police have stated, you can help us catch him once you stop laughing. Oh, man. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. If I read that, I'd be like, yeah, no, someone will do it for me. right? Yeah. They got, they're all over yeah, this. I, I don't
1: need to do this. I don't want to flood the 911 with a call. <laughs>
0: yeah, though. It'll already be like, you know, all the lines will be busy because <laughs> so many people will have tips about where this guy went. He's still yeah. wearing it. He's, He's still, still wearing it. it. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome, man.
1: Hey, but that happened in Georgia. So, okay.
0: Not Florida. Yeah, that happened in Georgia. Yep. So at least, you know, we gotta, we gotta show impartiality here to the, the other states of the, of the great country. Dude, we we love Florida. Florida. We
1: do. We love Florida. We
0: love Florida. Exactly. And, you know,
1: and we definitely, we love Georgia too. You're you're all our peaches over there, but Florida, come on. You guys get a lot of shit, but we love you. We love you.
0: There's endless, endless material for our trade portray. Oh, no, I'm just kidding, man. We love you for you. All right. Don't forget that. But that is the end of my tray portrait. Zap adapta Thanks, guys.
2: Thank you. Nice man. Oh, oh, you, I really
1: like that one. Oh, it was well,
2: good. You know, man, uh, I appreciate that, that
1: good Thanks, man. Thanks. Better and
0: better. Well, I've you know, I wasn't gonna bring it up, but you notice I'm um, yeah. just a little bit closer to you, right? He's been gradually edging towards me. Um, it's clear that for sure there, <laughs> 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 It's clear that there's nothing I can do to stop this so I'm just gonna just gonna embrace the situation that's unfolding here um, yeah good th- good thing we don't tape this show yet you know <sighs> not yet so for today's episode we are going to the ever beautiful Rosin Dube, the quaint Scotia the prepossessing Innisfail the delightful. Caitlin Nealacane, the Sean booked. And as Johnny Cash put it, 40 shades
1: of green. Yeah, that's right. It's the Emerald Isle. It's the, uh, it's, um, yeah. It's Ireland. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Thank you. I. It just wouldn't quite flick off the tongue if you know what I mean. No, I don't. Well, today, we will be discussing the ancient event known as the Skyship of Klon-McNoise. The event was supposed to have originally occurred in the 740s AD or thereabouts. And honestly, when I was told to research this topic by the almighty Wayne Dale, master of all things, I was pretty stoked, too, like yourself, Scott, while researching this topic of the Skyship of Klon-McNoise in... uh er,
0: I-re-la-re-la. That would be Ireland. It's incredibly <sighs> easy to say, man. man. Ireland. I-re-lan- Ireland. Wow. Okay. So so anyway, it's said that a certain event
1: happened, and there were many eyewitnesses to this event, and there may have been two or more events. But the important thing is that this event was recorded in the annals of history of fur
0: Lint. Oh, my gosh. Ireland. Super easy to pronounce. It's two syllables. It's almost one and a half syllables. Ireland.
1: Ah, man. Well, there are multiple accounts throughout history, but each has minimal details. But they all share the same elements of ships or a ship floating in the sky. Then either an anchor or a dart or spear is tossed overboard, which one of the crew members, a sky sailor, jumps overboard to either get the spear or dart or dislodge the anchor, and it's as if the sky sailor is underwater in our air. It's it's pretty interesting. You know, it's a great tale for the times.
0: Yes, it is. And it's just one of those things that, you know, like I feel like we can all relate to in some way. It's a good way to stretch the mind and tingle the senses. Yeah, All right. Let's batten down the hatches and set sail toward
1: the land of saints and scholars, the Republic, Hibernia, the land of a thousand welcomes. Oh my god, it's
0: Ireland, man. Preposterously easy to pronounce. Ireland. Ireland! The event... Originally, it was okay. said to be a small flotilla of what we'd call UFOs,
1: or as the government now calls them, UAPs, in an attempt to downplay
0: these craft, not of this earth. By the way, for those of you who don't know, UAP is an unidentified aerial phenomena, which is just a fancy way of saying UFO, you know what I mean? But eh. There were many witnesses to the original event. But either
1: there was a second event, maybe a third and fourth, who knows, or the first account was the only account which made its way far and wide where the story was slightly changed over time. But the important thing to note is that in all of the variations of the story that have developed over hundreds of years, beginning since that first account in the 740s AD, have the same core elements. And we'll get to all of that. But just a little side note, sort of my personal feeling on this topic of UFOs, I have personally both witnessed a real UFO with a family member and have heard another UFO on a different occasion with a friend, and I was between
0: 8 and 12 years old uh, during both of those accounts. Well, now that you mention it, I think we want to hear those accounts. Am I Come on, guys. Am I right? Am I right? Just chime no, in. No, yeah, I guess that would only make sense. Well, yeah, based on the emails, the listeners like hearing details, so let's try to expand on that true, shit.
1: True. Uh, the great Twain Dale did mention earlier uh, as he sucked on a hot dog. <laughs> yeah, he
0: didn't even eat it. He just uh, it. he just put it in his mouth, and it just like was kept sticking out, you know, like a piece of straw or something. That just like yeah, just rolled it around in his mouth. Kind of a weird guy. So I think the first event was
1: when I was around eight. Uh, I had a friend over at my house, and we lived deep in the woods. Uh, far from any other town. Uh, No light pollution or anything. So we had a tent set up on the deck, and it was night, at least midnight if not later. And we were in the tent with the door about halfway zipped, and we were listening to either Marilyn Manson or White Zombie. I can't remember, but definitely one of those two. And all of a sudden, we start feeling this. uh, There's no other way to describe it than this energy, like a slowly pulsating energy, like...
0: Woof! Woof! Woof!
1: It was really heavy like you could feel the heaviness of it and so we turned the music off and we sat there and we were actually just like listening to it it was just you could feel it and hear it at the same time and it was so intense and then i got out of the tent and stood on the deck and was looking up and around because i wanted to see is it a ufo because i was interested in all this stuff way back then and I was looking up at the sky, and I didn't see anything. They did, I didn't see anything like blocking the stars. You know, I didn't notice anything weird. So, you know, we just sat there and just felt this for a while and listened, and we felt pretty damn scared. Yeah, I bet. And yeah, and then you know, I started feeling a, a little too scared. I told my friend, "Hey, man, I think we should go inside." And he didn't hesitate at all. He jumped up, and we both just ran inside. And I, I don't recall what we did after that or anything after that. But I'm not saying we were abducted. I just don't recall anything after after
0: that. Well, the only thing I can say to that is I had somewhat of a similar experience while walking with a, a lady on the beach in the evening. Um, we both saw like some lights that seemed detached from anything. It just seemed like too close to be a plane, but too far to be in front of us to where we could get a good look. And it's the interesting part about it is that we both had the same visceral reaction to it. And this is not somebody who spooks or scares easily, and neither am I. But we both had the same instinct to, A, start walking faster, and B, start looking over our shoulders and, like, get out of there. Like, we had the uh, flight response when we saw whatever these lights, just for a brief minute, too. It wasn't, like, a sustained period of lights. It was, like, something that moved in a way that made it seem like it noticed our presence almost. It's hard to describe exactly, uh... What it was, but we both got the hell out of there and, uh, yeah, like f- spooked us. So I, I can't, uh, I can't elaborate. I wish I could elaborate any more than that, but yeah, let's hear about your second episode. I want to see if maybe I have a similar experience to that one as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the other event went like this. So I had to have been probably around 12, 11 or 12. So I was, I was, you know, like I said, into UFOs and aliens and all that stuff from a very young age. You know, everything we cover here on this fantastic podcast, actually.
0: 12th? <laughs> 12? Wow, you must have been kind of a strange child there, buddy. Yeah,
1: yeah, pretty crazy stuff, man, but let's save that for another show. That's totally fine. So anyway, back to the second UFO event. So this one was way more intense than the first one. So as I said, I was always interested in these things, and I had a cousin who was maybe two or three years older than me, and he knew why I was interested in this stuff. So he invited me to come out to his house specifically to lay on this, like, slightly inclined hill, which I guess we were maybe looking towards the west or southwest, I don't know. Um, but we're laying there at night, maybe starting around midnight we see some stars moving but you know that must be a satellite you know whatever um we must have thought we saw some things throughout the night but who knows one thing to point out really quick is that where we were there was this road with a a line of trees tall pines or whatever maybe 50 yards or so to our right 100 yards or so i don't know just like one line of trees but around 3 a.m or whereabouts i noticed this strange star that was sort of up almost right at our eye level as we were lying on this inclined hill and to the right a little bit and it definitely was not there when we were you know started our little like star viewing thing and it didn't suddenly appear either because we would have noticed it so what it did is it like slowly very slowly increased in its brightness so it was almost imperceptible to us and we're talking over a period of like three hours at least it was just so slow that our eyes could not detect it I don't know, man. It was really weird. Like, dude, how did I notice it right the then? Hell? I don't know. It's kind of weird.
0: Uh, that's so weird that it just, like, it was a gradual thing. Yeah, super you know? super gradual. Like, yeah, and then just, uh, but, there's something really, like, unnatural about that. Spooky.
1: And so, right as I noticed it, I raised my hand and I pointed directly at it while simultaneously asking my cousin, I was like, have you noticed that star? And right when I said star, I was like, I pointed at it and, like, this orange Orb seemed to just become slightly larger and brighter, maybe the size of a dime, like at arm's length, you know, from where we were laying. It, got, it was big, and then the brightness—it's hard to describe, other than this really deep orange glowing orb contained in an orb. I don't know, like it was so weird. Like it didn't emanate any like
0: a glow from it either. It's just so weird. The the non emanating the glow—I mean, that's that's like pretty weird for me too. Just like uh, thinking about how. Something, like, orb-like that would be in the air. You would think it would have some kind of, you know, light that was coming off of it. But not emanating a glow. That's almost weirder. Yeah, man. Because right as I
1: pointed to it, it shot down to our right and down, like, behind that the tree line. And so we couldn't really see it all that well because it was, like, behind the tree line. And then we could see it shining behind the trees, you know, as it moved. But it never stopped. It, like, basically went behind the trees. And then it shot back up, like, out of the trees to, the, to a certain distance above us, like, not kind of where it was first when I first spotted it, Um, and then all of a sudden, it just stopped into this quick, z- like, Z-shape, like, it went zip, 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 zip about three or four times, and then it just fucking shot away super fast, like, after the zigzag three or four times, it just, like, disappeared extremely fast to outer space,
0: gone. Oh, man. So, like, what do you remember, like, after that, like, directly Directly after that, the aftermath oh, of, of man. that like, event. Like, what happened next? I, I I
1: don't know. I don't recall going inside or if we
0: slept because our plan was
1: to sleep right there. Like, we had our sleeping bags and shit. But I don't recall what we did at that point. Like, logically, I would think we would go inside. But I have no recollection of getting up. Um, I, I just don't know, man. But anyway, I was going to make a point too, actually. My first point being this, I know we are not the only intelligent creature in this galaxy and definitely not in this universe. My second point is this. I also believe that now in the year 2023, many governments have recovered, you know, alien craft, none of this world, whatever, and have succeeded in reverse engineering these craft. I firmly believe that multiple governments have the technology and ability to fly what are so often being recorded today by all sorts of cameras and touted as being extraterrestrial craft. UFOs, if you will, especially the videos released by the Pentagon, it's
0: PSYOPs, man. A whole lot of PSYOPs. Yeah. I mean, we can only guess, right? The government is so good at hiding things. Like, people come out, you know, I feel like they pay people to come out and say,
2: oh, you know the government. We don't even have enough pens and stuff. Like, we can't afford this and that. You know, ha, ha, ha. Have you seen any government? Yeah.
0: Oh, come on, man. Like, there's plenty of stuff that we don't get to see. Well hidden from us. No, oh, hell I yeah. mean, I just, yeah, I believe it all, basically. I'm just coming out. I'm going to come on that, the record and say I believe it all. Do you see that the
1: accountant for the U.S. budget office, whatever, all of a sudden is like, oh, look, we have $6 billion free to use, and they just sent it to Ukraine. That whole thing is just.
0: So shady, bro. <laughs> like, so shady. in house accountant is just like, Oh
2: so, yeah, we totally
0: have an extra six yep. billion laying around. Exactly. You know, Zelensky and Biden are like, Well, I don't know,
1: how are we gonna pay for all this and all this? Like, well, I don't know. Biden's like, Oh, we're gonna Yeah, I'll pull some strings, we'll get this done. And then all of a sudden
2: Check it out. I just took a uh I took a second look at the books and uh we're not in debt. Actually we have six billion surplus. So here you go,
0: Ukraine. Suddenly the money pops up. Yes. Yeah. Suddenly the money popped up. That's a whole other show. That yeah,
1: whole other show. But, you know, I honestly think that yeah, the U.S. especially, you know, has been p- perfecting these crafts since at least 1947 and now putting these things out there and not informing the public that they're doing this. It's psyops.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, if – and they'd have to come out and say, oh, yeah, by the way, we've been conducting secret – I mean, you know, we all believe it anyways, though. The thing is, like, they should just be honest about it and be like, you know, we're doing this because people would be like, yeah. We know. We've been seeing the shit.
1: Yeah, I mean. But anyways, look how long it took them to admit Area 51 was a thing. For so many years, they denied, yes. denied, denied, even existed.
0: Yeah, that even existed,
1: yeah. and it's like, dude, it's, it's there. It's like, look there. at it. You it's can right see it. 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 And then they're finally, yeah, like, all right. Oh,
0: like, you got right. us. We got this yeah, storage got area us. called Area 51. <laughs> <laughs> storage.
1: All right. The story of the airship of Clonmacnoise had been handed down over the ages through written accounts, or Irish annals, which are books made by industrious men back in the day consisting of manuscripts and other writings from people deemed somewhat important. These works were typically compiled many centuries after the writings and accounts took place and then essentially published as their own books. They are historical records and give us a glimpse, just a small glimpse, into what life was like back in the very early days of Ireland.
2: Oh, my
1: gosh. Uh, that, that, That place. Ireland. But maybe more specifically, how people thought, what the thinking in general terms was like back then, and how they saw the world, and how they were able to describe the world as they saw it using the very basic knowledge and limited terms that they had at their disposal.
0: The incredible part about this, Coop, when I'm thinking about Irish annals, is the fact that people all these years ago... Had the same encounters as people in today's day and age. I mean, years later, decades, like, I mean, it's, it's crazy, man. It's good, yeah, man. Yeah, and the other way the stories were
1: handed down, as with many historical council history, is just word of mouth, you know? Ah yeah, the old telephone game. Right, yeah, yeah. Like the line twenty people up side by side, whisper a sentence to the first person's ear, and then that person turns to whisper the same sentence to the next person's ear, and so on until it's whispered to the last person's ear, and then that person says out loud what they were told.
0: It's not the best way to pass down historical events. No. Nah. But you know, I mean if you're not going to write that shit down you might as well tell the story make it good yeah. you know what i mean make it good exactly so in this case in the case of the airship at Klon
1: McNoise, there are multiple accounts and there are multiple known stories about what appears to be the same event or perhaps two events if not more that took place in I
0: end and ireland it's so simple man i i just don't even know how to continue from here it's Ireland, ireland at- but-
1: As early as the 740s AD, (laughs) it all began with the story circulating through Ryle, that place of a a small grouping of flying ships, some say three ships in total, that were floating through the skies above. At one point, while many onlookers with their feet planted on the terra firma, Gaze skyward at the strange ships, trying to make sense of what they were seeing. One of the ship's occupants, a sailor, as it's mentioned, seemed to swim down to the people below. And that is the short account of the earliest mention of the airship of Klonmukmice.
0: Wow, a person swimming down. I kind of want to hear a little more about that.
1: Well, over the years, more elements would be added to that story. More facts, if you will. Of course, it's history. Written history. Facts, And now, we'll just go over the subsequent accounts told to us by those rigorous recorders of time.
0: First, what is Clonmacnoise? Inform us, please. I feel like that's something important to the story.
1: Sure. Clonmacnoise is actually an old monastery in ruins that is situated in the county Offaly in the River Shannon, just south of Athlone in Ireland. It was founded by St. Ciaran from Rathcrogan, county Ruscommon, in the 6th century. The monastery was a very important place that kings held in high esteem. It was also a place of learning and was essentially a university in its time. It consists of a cathedral itself, two large round towers, nine churches, three tall stone crosses with intricate carved designs, and over 700 early Christian gravestones. The site started to go in disrepair in the early 12th century, which was partly due to numerous attacks by the Vikings and the Normans. The town of Athlone also grew in size, and this brought with it many foreign peoples far and wide. In 5052, the English garrison
0: stationed in Athlone would go to ClonmacNoise with the intention of looting it and destroying it. That's an interesting account, and I want to say that it pisses me off. I'd just like to point that out right now. That's incredible. But uh, yeah, you can continue.
1: Today it is a vestige of a once thriving religious and educational site. One can visit the ruins for a fee, as it has been turned into a visiting center much like the rest of the world. Ah, <laughs> Yes everybody's
0: backyard
1: got to pay got to pay to play you want to come step on this grass got to pay the irish annals reference three different dates of this original event happening those dates are 743 744 and 748 ad however it seems that only one account which is found in the annals of ulster mentions the date 748 ad and the location that being at clan mcnoys there was a mention in the 11th century Book of Invasions and another mention of three ships voyaging in the air in the Book of Leinster from the 12th century. And this account says that it took place in 743 during the Tel Chan Games during the reign of King Domnall. Tel Chan was another flourishing town in its day and has since been renamed to Tel Town. Oh, this area was of great importance as well as it was a site of a less than equivalent modern day Olympics. It is known today as the Assembly of Tel Chu. They were contests of strength and skill. Water sports were a very popular event, and many would come just for those.
0: I mean, I can see why. That's, I mean, that's totally why I'd be there.
1: It was also a perfect time for marriage and other celebrations, particularly the religious celebrations.
0: Peace was declared at
1: these events, and it was to be held in the greatest of esteem. But with all good comes a little bad. But just a little. Yes, just a little. There is one account that says that a man named Amba Cook was beheaded at one of these assemblies after he perjured himself as an adulterer. But what's even more surprising is that the man, after being beheaded, went on to live for another seven years.
0: Oh, what? No way.
1: Apparently, the headless man was cared for by the monks at Clan MacNoise until his eventual death. Hmm.
0: So they were just pushing around a corpse for... (laughs) Well, I can't speculate. I don't want to be a naysayer. I'm not going to be a naysayer. So continue on, continue on. A living human
1: being with no head, man, they're keeping him alive, just a tube down the throat. Yeah, you know. Facts The assembly at telchu is said by some to be named after the daughter of Magmor, who was the king from modern day Spain, and his wife <laughs> Oh Mock Eric. Others say that Magmor is actually just a metaphor for the Lord of the Plains and Tel Chu's the embodiment of the goddess of earth and agriculture. It's generally understood that Tel had lived and perished around 2000 BC. Tel Chu is said to have been given a foster child to raise, his name being Lug, and would come to be known by many names such as Lug Lamafta, Lug Longarm, Lug Samildanich, Master of All Arts, Lug would later come to be the high king of I... You
0: got this, man. Just, you know, I go ahead and just... Uh, y- you can do it. You can do it. Come on. Man. Just say it. I, I... Yeah, I... Yeah, come on, man. I... You got it. I... Ma- I hurts, man. Oh, Jesus. Wow. Um. Just try this, man. Like, okay. like your eyes. Yeah, okay, yeah. just like... Earl... Earl, I like your eyes. Okay, okay, all right. Earl, like the name, the wonderful name, really good name. And then land, like the earth, the ground, or to land a trick, you know. I like my eyes. Earl, like the name,
1: really good name. And land, like the earth, the ground, or land a trick. Yes,
0: exactly. I, Earl, it's perfect. land. There you go. Do it again.
1: Ireland. Ireland. Yes. Ireland. Look
0: at you go, cowgirl. Wow. I don't know why or why I'm saying this, but man, I'm proud of you. I really am. Good job.
1: Hey, Good you, job. Know you were the crutch I leaned on there.
0: Oh, yeah. By the way, with a name like Lug, Lug Longarm, he could have been <laughs> anything, you know what I mean? But instead, he became the high king of Ireland. Oh, Lug Longarm. So
1: as the story goes... Tailtree would lovingly raise Lug and naturally loved the earth. She would work hard at clearing a portion of forest that she had declared to be arable land. Thing was, she worked herself to death. Literally. As she was dying, she made a final wish. She wanted funeral games to be held in her honor. So after passing away, Lug declared the beginning of Enoch Tailchan, or Tailchan Games, which took place in what we now call August. These games actually predate the measly Greek Olympics by more than a thousand years. You know, and they fizzled out over millennia like most things, but had a resurgence in the early nineteen hundreds. It's a festival called Lugnasad, or the Lugnasad Festival of First Fruits. Oh man, I love it. These assemblies would occur every year like any festival, and anybody who was anybody would be in attendance.
0: Oh so like you or I would have been there.
1: We would have been there first in line. Yes. One such one such festival happened during the reign of King Donald. Which began in seven hundred forty three. As the story goes, all in attendance at this assembly watched in astonishment as the ships floated by above them, as they watched them glide through the air, the people also noticed that there were people up in the ships. Apparently, they looked like normal people. They didn't resemble any of the seventy two plus species of alien that we know of. Not even the Nordics? Not even the Nordics. So as they were watching the people up in the ships floating high above them, they spotted a restless man with a spear in his hand. The people were unsure of the man's intent, but they held their wondrous gaze skyward. Hmm. This man then cast the spear he had in his hand at a fish. Fish. Where was this fish? We do not know. Was it in a river or a lake below? Was it any basket of freshly caught fish, or was it sizzling in its own delectable juices on the grill, or was it
0: flying through the air with ease? <laughs> These are burning questions to which we have no answers. Yeah, it's true, but the uh, effects are making me like visualize it so much more clearly. Yeah, but what we do know is that the man was not a good spearfisher,
1: and he missed his target.
2: Oh. This... <laughs>
1: The spear then fell to the ground As the bewildered people watched on Then they observed the same man Who threw the spear but missed the fish Clearly become distressed He pulled at his hair And ran about the ship's deck Almost in complete despair Almost as if he knew He had to go overboard To retrieve the lost spear The people gasped and gaped and whispered amongst themselves as they bared witness to the shocking sight. And as they bickered to one another, they watched as the crazed man sprung overboard the ship and dove into the air like Gary Hunt, performing the reverse one-and-a-half somersault with four-and-a-half twists off starboard. The next thing they witnessed was this mystery sky sailor, now diver, swim as if swimming in water down toward the lost spear he'd thrown to the ground. Upon retrieving the spear, Uh we can assume that the man swam back up toward the ship where the other sky sailors awaited him as some shook their heads in embarrassment and others hung their
0: heads in shame. Okay, so it was like our air was their water. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting because if I remember correctly, Aristotle wrote a lot about natural philosophy, which became the foundation of medieval physics at the time, right? And how there were three distinct regions of the atmosphere, which are sharply divided, and each region has entirely different densities. So cool, man. I yeah. think I totally yeah, get it now.
1: Hell yeah. And so in context, you know, like you said, the sky sailors are of a lighter substance, but remain much of the same in appearance. Uh, but they're lighter in their higher atmosphere. And our lower atmosphere here where we live, are dense air, this would be akin to
0: water for them. So they'd have to swim in it. Yes, yes, they'd have Piddle to actually like, move through the solid substance to get down there. Yeah. And there's
1: another account of this that is richer in detail and comes out of the 14th century book called Book of Balimote, which was made from parts of another book, a 12th century book called Book of Glenda Lowe. And yet another version of the same event is found in the Irish Historic Upper Tonum. In these versions, rather than three ships sailing overhead, there was only one ship. The time period in this version was also the time of the 10th century king, Congalach Mac Melemethig. Wow. Congalach, son of Melemethig, <laughs> was at one of these assemblies, and he, along with the others, observed this ship floating above. They then watched as one of the crew members took a dart, which I presume would be a spear. But he shoots this dart at his salmon. Now, the entry of the 9th century text by Nennius in the Book of Belimote simply says he... Cast a Dart at a Salmon. The text goes on to read,
0: The dirt fell down in the presence of the gathering, and a man came up out of the ship after it. When he seized the scent from above, a man from below seized it from below, upon which the man from above said, I'm being drowned, said he. Let him go, said Congolach, and he's allowed to go up, and then he goes from them swimming.
1: So here we get some added flavor into the story. There is a salmon involved. Yeah,
0: there's a salmon and some drowning yeah. and uh, swimming. swimming in there. It's interesting. It's got all the things I like. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what we don't know is whether the
1: guy, say, the shot for one of the festivities vendors already cooked fish or maybe a batch of freshly caught fish in a basket nearby or, you know, who knows. Maybe it was another flying fish. We just don't know. But what we do know is that this man was a better shot than the last guy. Also, the Sky Sailor busts a reverse four and a half somersault overboard with perfect form and swam through the air down to grab his spear thing. But someone grabbed the other end of it, which kept the Sky Sailor from going back up. And this caused the Sky Sailor to begin drowning until the king saved the day.
0: They always do, man. History writes itself.
1: So that was a fun addition to this exciting story. But let's check out this other one. There is an account that was found in a collection of monastic legends that was discovered tucked away in a dusty shelf in the Advocates Library in Edinburgh, Scotland. In this version, the churches and cathedral of Clonmacnoise were full of clergy members while the grounds around were filled with rambunctious kids having raw head-butting competitions.
0: What? So they're just like a bunch of school kids up there just like ramming heads with each other? I mean, that doesn't sound goats. too crazy. They're called...
1: See, they're goats, but they're called kids when they're younger.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah, now they're there's the a bunch, bunch of young goats. A bunch of young... Okay, okay. Well, sorry. I, sorry, I should clarify. Sorry, I'm not a farmer. No, right. that's my fault. Well, I should have clarified. Yeah, now I know. Thanks.
1: The monastery at Clonmacnoise was full of clergy and they watched as a skyship passed above. As it passed above, it dropped its anchor, which landed near the clergy as they watched on in amazement. A group of them then ran over to the anchor and held onto it. This apparently caused one of the sky sailors to do a triple backflip to a three and a half somersaults to five twists and then gracefully back paddled downward toward the clergy, holding onto the anchor, upon which the clergy then grabbed onto the sky sailor, now diver, at which point he yelled aloud,
2: For God's sake, let me go! For you are drowning me. God, I'm just trying to get back and sink my teeth into a haggis. Just let me go.
0: He would have been a phenomenal Broadway actor. Maybe even vaudeville. Oh, for sure. Wasted opportunities for that guy. Whoever he was, um, he would have been just a monster on screen. Right. Well, hopefully he made it and didn't drown. And went on to pursue
1: his acting career.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes.
1: He's probably on his way to an audition.
0: Yeah, he probably was told by his agent he had to show up somewhere. And that's, you know, he's just trying to get there, man. Shit. Yeah. Damn. And there is yet
1: another variation of this very real and dramatic tale that is found in the 12th century Chronicles work, whose name was, let's just say, his name was Geoffrey (laughs) Dubrule. He was also an abbot of Vigeois, France. He wrote a lot about the history of a certain Cenobitic monastic community and wrote about an event where people were gathered about in some public square in London, England. Now, just real quick, Cenobitic monasticism is a certain religious sect that is pretty much a community of people who are under strict discipline. They are obligated to do regular worship, and they all do manual labor to kill time. Uh, it's found particularly in Christianity and Buddhism.
0: Sounds a bit like a big fat cult to me, you know, agape monites... Aggressive Christianity Missionary Training Corps, Alamo Christian Foundation, Apostles of Infinite Love, I'm Shirin just to name a few. Damn, Aggressive Christianity Missionary Training Corps. That sounds fucking gnarly. Bro, it's like the Secret Service of Aggressive Christianity Missionary Training.
1: We're talking like, think about a Jehovah's Witness. So see, these guys would go to your door, pound on it,
2: open the fucking door.
1: You know, and then you open it, like, what's going on, man? Yeah,
2: you hear a bing-bong.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: they
0: just busting,
1: get on the ground, hear the
0: word. <laughs>
1: just, another guy comes in behind and just starts reading out of the Bible. And just... just
0: Starts reciting, John, chapter one. <laughs> you're just on the ground, like, God, oh, let me go. <laughs> Kids are like, wah. Yeah, fucking church goons are just standing guard. Chapter one, in the beginning, there was darkness.
1: Damn, man. Well, you know what? We'll definitely look into all of those at some point. And I I haven't heard of any of those, actually, other than Om Shinrikyo.
0: Well, sounds like you'll need to read more Canadian Reader's Digest, my friend. Excellent articles, even better centerfolds. Oh, yeah, man. Hey, did you see that last one? Woo-wee! Hot dogs and cottage cheese. Wow. Oh, fuck yeah, I saw it. You know, damn well I saw that. I've never seen a finer birdhouse in my entire life. Very intricate finish on the window frames. Yeah, it was. Pretty impressive. I do say so myself. Yeah, my God. The money they put into that publication
1: is crazy. Into just the centerfolds. Yeah, the centerfolds are just fucking amazing. Hell Yeah. So Jeffrey Du Brule wrote a similar event, but most likely it was the same event. He said that the people were clamoring about the horrible living conditions, hey, the hey, lack hey. of food.
2: Where's the food? Disease.
1: <sighs> you know, all that stuff. Infant mortality rate. Right? <laughs> and as they were doing so, they all looked up and saw a ship floating in the sky above
0: them. Ooh, ooh
1: next thing they witnessed was an anchor being tossed over the side which became stuck in something then a sky sailor again leapt overboard and did his usual aerial acrobatics this time he did a 360 to a reverse five and a half somersault to backflip corkscrew to seven twists and unfortunately made a critical error in judgment and embarrassed himself by belly flopping face first
0: damn this guy was just not cut out to do this man this he was
1: first, not the right guy for first the job try, this is his first attempt
0: yeah just shanked
1: it <laughs> just leapt over just flipped his body let's see what happens
2: yeah
1: <laughs> did not
0: work out well for him
1: no man fucking embarrassed himself too it's horrible that's the worst part
0: <laughs> in front of everybody everybody
1: saw that But it was at that point that the sky sailor attempted to free the anchor from whatever it was stuck on. But this gave the perfect opportunity for the townspeople to capture this strange man. The man begged to be let go, for he had certainly drowned, but the townspeople held him there. And held him some more. And a little more. And the sky sailor yelled to be let go. And soon, the man had drowned.
2: <laughs> <laughs> poor
0: guy Whoa, man poor he just guy. couldn't make it out of there jeez fuck let him go <laughs> yeah let him go free britney <laughs> yeah good reference man i, I forgot about I that so i think yeah, she's all fucked up where's she yeah, at she's these not days. doing so great um i don't know man she's all over tiktok just like being weird but she, like, went for a while doing a, a British
1: accent like she thought she was British for, like, a while.
0: I don't know. She's, yeah, I don't know, man. It's just, she isn't any weirder than anybody else that's all over TikTok, you know? True. True, man. So, anyway, in 1211 AD, a book called
1: Ocea Imperialia, which was written by Gervais of Tilbury, who was an English cleric and statesman and also served in the royal court of Otto of Brunswick of the Holy Roman Empire, he gives us, what is said to be the most well-known account of the sky ship.
0: But real quick, this dude Otto, another one of my kernels of knowledge stashed away in the folds of brain, he was most famous for consolidating the German Reich and making significant advances for religious influence in politics. Did you know that? No, but is that a good thing? I mean, I honestly couldn't tell you one way or the other. It's, I mean, the fact is, it just, it was. And on paper, it looks absolutely horrifying.
2: Doesn't sound good. So, Gervais tells us this. After mass on a holy day, the holiest of them all, many would say, but not I, yesterday was a better day than today. Anyways, the congregation of an unspecified church in Britain saw an anchor fixed to a stone tomb in the churchyard with its cables stretched tight up to the clothes. It was quite a stretch, very taut. The people saw the rope, moving as though it was being pulled from above, and they even heard muffled voices through the clouds. Then a man came climbing down the rope, hand over hand, with his legs dangling below him. While attempting to free the anchor, the man was seized by some bystanders and died after a brief struggle. Stifled by the breath of our gross air, as a shipwrecked mariner is stifled in the sea. After an hour, the rope fell to the ground as if cut from above, leaving the anchor where it lay. And so now it's more or less the same
1: story. Only this time, the sky sailor said, "Do hell with it," and then cut the anchor's rope.
0: I mean, I'd have to say I'd do the same yeah. in that situation. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you? It just seems obvious.
1: Yeah. Then some years later, another account came to light. This was found in the Norse book. Konung <laughs> or Speculum Regali, or Royal Mirror, or Mirror, which was written around 1250 AD and specifically for the Norwegian king. The person who translated this, Kuno Meyer, informs the reader that the information he had was not derived from any written source, but rather it was based on oral retellings within the lands of Irel I- Earl? No, Earl?
0: Oh, here we Earl. go. I... Aaron? Emerald Isle. Earl? Ireland. Three syllables. It's too easy.
1: What we have next is an authentic Norwegian woman narrating that
0: account. There is yet another thing that will seem most wonderful, which happened in the city called Glen. <laughs> yes, indeed. And that city is the church which is sacred to the memory of holy man Kyrinus, Holiest of holies, of holy, so holy it's quite nearly unbearable. And there it thus befill on a Sunday when people were at church were hearing a mass. A loud ruckus it was indeed, but the loss there came dropping from the air above an anchor, as if it were cast from a ship. For there was a rope attached to it, a mighty fine rope my eye did see. And the fluke of the anchor got hooked in the ark. At the church door, and all people went out to church, wandered, looked upwards after the rope. Huh? What? They saw a ship float on the roof and men in it, and next they saw a man leap overboard from the ship. Whoa! And he drove down towards the anchor, wanting to loosen it. (laughs) ha 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 ha! His exertion seemed to them by the movement of his hands and feet... Like that of a man swimming in the sea. When he came down to the anchor, he endeavoured to loosen it. Oh boy, was he frantic in his work. Dear God, he was desperate. You should have seen the size of his eyes. My God. Then some men ran towards him and wanted to seize him. Mostly to acquire whatever fashionable items he could from his person. But in the church to which the anchor was fastened, there is a bishop's chair, superbly ugly in every way imaginable. But the bishop was by chance on the spot, and he forbade the man to hold that man. For he said that he would die as if he were held in water. And As soon as he was free, he then sailed. He hastened his way up again to the ship, and as soon as he came up, he cut the rope. And then sailed on their way out of the Church of and the anchor who has ever since lain as a witness of the events of that church.
1: Extremely vivid story. Very colourful, vibrant. I love the details. Yeah, the, Man, that, that, that Norwegian, Norwegian storyteller is, is on like point. A,
0: she's just got very a very interesting rich story voice. <laughs> just a rich rich and colorful tone. Yeah. And anyways, moving on.
1: And then comes a final account of the skyship of Clon MacNoise. This one comes from a 14th or 15th century Irish manuscript from an unknown author, but it was published in a book called A Celtic Miscellany by Kenneth Hurlstone Jackson.
0: Whoa, wouldn't want to get in a rock fight with that guy, that's for sure, with a name like that.
1: This account states the following.
0: One day the monks of Clan MacNoise were holding a meeting on the floor of the church, And as they were at their deliberations, they saw a ship sailing over them in the air, going as if it were on the sea. When the crew of the ship saw them eating in the inhabited place below them, they dropped anchor, and the anchor came right down on the floor of the church. And the priest seized it. Of course they did. A man came down out of the ship after the anchor, and he was swimming as if he were in the water, till he reached the anchor. And they were dragging him down then. For God's sake, let me go, said he, for you are drowning me. Then he left them, swimming in the air, as before, taking his anchor with him.
2: Man.
1: Oh. Well, maybe the churches of klon that that made up what was essentially a university of its time. Maybe this university offered acting classes, and everyone wanted a part in that Broadway <laughs> rendition of, For God's sake, let me go, for you are drowning me. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> Starring, like, Vin Diesel as the uh, Sky Sailor, of oh, course, fuck. and then... Uh, Nicholas, all the rage, Babe Cage, who plays oh, the hero monk.
1: I can, I can see that, man. I dig that shit. So, uh, Scott, what do you what do you think about these stories?
0: Well, quite honestly, they remind me a lot of the poetry of Seamus Haney, Actually, oh. you know, Seamus had won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1995. ninety. Didn't know it. I don't know who that yeah, is. And much, well, much of his poetry is just the dual dualism of imaginative tensions as they tend to say, between what perhaps is and what perhaps may never be. His work is luminous, and it really draws on the actual experience of life in Ireland. You know, one poem in particular really stands out to me as we went through this magnificent real-life event. It's about this very event, actually. So it comes from one of the most eye-popping poems. It's actually a meditative poem, really excellent as a nightcap and, uh, you know, start hitting those rims. You know what I mean, man? I mean, do you know, like, what I mean? You know, I actually do, Scott. I do. I I know exactly what you mean, and I know
1: our listeners know exactly what you're talking about as well. I know your bollocks are just burning over there to read that poem, right? Yeah. Is
0: it long? Oh, no, it's just a few stanzas. I'll do it in my best old-fashioned Hibernian accent. Sounds great,
1: man, and uh, we will then take turns judging your poetic oration. Oh, sweet And this is sure to make every woman listening a
0: walking swamp Whoa, dang, buddy The guys, too, I'm sure of it Well, I sure hope so All right, come on, get me wet already It's called Lightnings Ooh Oh, I like that music Yeah Yeah, that's really, it's good. really good That's nice, that's nice. perfect for this poem the annals say when the monks of clan MacNoise were all at prayers inside the oratory a ship appeared above them in the air the anchor dragged along behind so deep it hooked itself into the altar rails and then as the big hall rocked to a standstill our crewmen shimmied and grappled down the rope and struggled to release it but in vain this man can't bear our life here and will drown. The abbot said unless we help him. So they did. The freed ship sailed, and the man climbed back out of the marvellous as he had known it. Swamps Swamps Freaking everywhere. Swamps breath
1: wet. Everyone's gotta change their underwear and panties right now.
0: Woof That's such a wonderful poem. Yeah, I really like the part about he will drown. Yeah, that's the best part. That was my takeaway. (laughs) So that is pretty
1: much the story on the skyship of Klon McNoise. It was chosen because we had six emails from Irish listeners that highly recommended that we cover it. And I got to say, there's not much to there cover. There
0: really was not. It's like staring at little black outline squares and then you just fill in those little squares with like handwritten letters to form entire words. Of course it was, yeah. But we're not done here. We're not Hell done. Hell no, we are not. We have more to this episode moving along from the skyship of clown McNoise. Really wonderful story, though. I do love oh man, it was wonderful. those really old UFO sightings. They're great, yeah. And that's kind of why we did it, because it's not really
1: well known, and it's you a know, pretty old sighting. But whether it was one or two or more events, it was documented not all that long after the actual events. We know, or event happening. And it was, you know, popular enough that there were many accounts of it over the years. So that says something about the importance that it had on the people's minds. I mean, we're talking the Middle Ages and that story
0: continued to thrive. Right, exactly. So what we have now is what? I mean, what? What is this? Scribblings of crayons and colored pencils? What is this, man? Splattered egg yolk and piss? No, man, these are not Jackson Pollock's. Now, we'll just
1: briefly discuss some very old paintings with very obvious depictions of what we today would call UFOs, or that other one, UAPs, along with some you know written accounts of UFOs in ancient history. There are many very beautiful and sophisticated paintings being done by very famous painters. Not only famous as we see them now, but famous back in their day, hence why they got the commissions from the wealthy, aristocratic, and secular people of power. Others were not so famous, but still had an impact on the people of the times.
0: Yeah, and they didn't fuck around too much back then. If they didn't see or didn't like their portrait that you painted of them, you're done, man. Finished. Man. Swimming with the fishes, see? Yeah. They call them cement boots. I mean, it probably wasn't that bad, but they could still ruin you. I mean, easily if they didn't like your work. Yeah, definitely, dude. Financially and shit. So... The
1: first one we'll bring up is the crucifixion of Christ from about 1350 AD. It is from the Visoki Dekani Monastery in Kosovo, Serbia. The artist is unknown, but some say this depicts two UFOs, one on either side of this very large fresco painting with the crucified Jesus in the middle with saints all around being girlish, chatty Cathys. And each craft, if you will, is a single man respectively. Both crafts seem to be heading from left to right. Some say that these two objects are, in fact, UFOs.
0: Yeah, but others say that the craft on the right with the little dude looking back toward the craft on the left is just a representation of a crescent moon. And the craft on the left is a representation of the sun. And the sun is chasing the moon. And the moon is like, oh, shit, oh, shit! Like, just, you know, just trying to get out of there. Basically, it's a representation of the cycle of the sun and moon. That's what some people think. They're not UFOs? I mean, they could be. I mean, I don't know. It's up for interpretation, obviously, because, you know, we can't ask the painter. Okay. All right. Well, how about this next one? The painting is called
1: Miracle of Snow, Foundation of Santa Maria Maggiore by Italian Masolino da panicale. <laughs> this oh painting God. was done between 1420. Is that over the top? Is there, I mean. I mean, you know, I guess we'll see. Whatever, what we... you know. <laughs> yeah. This painting This painting was done between 1428 and 1432 and depicts what appears to be Jesus and a saint up in a circle floating on a cloud above the townsfolk who are there to mark the spot for a new church to be built where snow had fallen. In the sky between where Jesus and his saint are in a circle resting on a flat cloud in the mountains in the background or a number of flat disks all over the sky that look exactly alike to what one would say is the prototypical disc-shaped UFO of today.
0: It is true. If you look at that, it looks like we're staring at the beginnings of an invasion.
1: Yeah. You see that? It's all lined up. Now, There are clouds that have a pancake-like shape, and they have been misinterpreted as UFOs, unfortunately. These are called lenticular clouds, and they're pretty cool looking, but in my opinion, the people of the 1300s recorded and documented what they saw, and they know what they saw. UFOs to them were most likely akin to saintly, godly, heavenly, divine intervention because they didn't have the knowledge that we have accumulated up to the present day. Everything to them was in direct relation to the religious fervor of the times. I mean, if you weren't religious, you're going to be murdered, basically. You're persecuted. You know, that's just how they described the things back in the day. They they could not logically explain, you know? Right,
0: exactly. I mean, (laughs) everything was going to be kind of extreme or it was going to be just like you know, some work of some mystical thing. I mean, I mean, I, we don't do things like too differently in today's day and age, honestly, yeah, you know.
1: So this next one to me is absolutely undeniable evidence of early UFO sightings. This painting is called The Madonna with Saint Giovanni, and was painted in the mid-15th century. The painter, who was thought to be Domenico Giolandio, intentionally painted a craft in the sky, in the background. What's more is that he also painted the figure of a man in the background at the edge of a hillside staring up at the object with his hands over his eyes
0: as if to shield his eyes from the bright light. It definitely looks like a little person. I mean, if you're looking at the painting, you know, I'm looking at it right here. You got like the craft looking roundness and you have like what looks like a little head poking up and then maybe a person with some kind of a air rudder or something. I don't know. It definitely... Uh...
1: Well, it looks like uh, it's emanating energy from the Yeah, calf. right, like there's, right, right. There's something around the little object. It's almost just like there's a a field around it. It has an aura, and then, for sure. Yeah. And then below it, there's that guy, and he's looking up at it, and he's like, whoa. Look at that thing. Am I stoned? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Did I smoked him much? yeah. Dang, uh-huh. yeah. This next one is the Triumph of Summer Tapestry. Done in 1538 by an unknown artist, it was created in Bruges, Belgium, and depicts quite an intricate scene.
0: Yeah, that's a tapestry? Holy shit.
1: Yeah, man. And for those who don't know, a tapestry is a form of textile art traditionally woven by hand on a loom. And in the 1500s, they were certainly done by hand. But this tapestry shows what looks like some royal procession as the central scene with the king and a cart being pushed alongside along the road lined with floral designs. But in the background, in the sky, there are a number of disc-shaped craft, disc-shaped craft floating around. These, again, are the typical disc-shaped craft that today are regularly described as being UFOs. It's important to know that the disc-shaped craft were never considered to be a symbol of divine intervention. Circles and halos, yes. Crosses of all shapes and sizes, yes. But not disc-shaped objects hovering in the sky. There's no literature existing to our knowledge that flying discs were in any way attributable to godly divine phenomena. But if they were attributed to such, the question then is, why?
0: Right, like why leap to that?
1: So look at this next one. Tell me that it's not an alien craft hovering above a burning church.
0: Yeah, you got this clearly thing that's not a cloud at all. There's some kind of like stream emanating from behind it almost like a propulsion of some kind. Right. And it has like multiple segments. It's like very segmented with like some kind of a center um you know, just like hatch looking thing almost.
1: Like petals of a flower. That's kind of what it looks like. Sure, like but a, but, but still more, design.
0: but still more like robotic. Oh yeah, definitely. Well. No, it definitely like looks a like Wade. a machine.
1: Totally. This painting is dated to the 1600s and was done by an unknown artist. Its title is the caption below the painting, which translated from German means "Israel, put your hope in the Lord." The image is of a large red-roofed church that is on fire. All around the edges of the painting are plumes of smoke, included along the top, kind of in a circular. You know pattern there, but below the smoke and above the burning church is a very clearly depicted craft. Again, in the typical disc-shaped that we're all used to seeing, and there appears to be like what you said an exhaust or something expelling from the back of the craft, making it seem like it's going down to the church. It's a very interesting image.
0: Yeah, especially for the 1600s. Yeah, that's really yeah. crazy looking.
1: Okay, this last painting we'll bring up today is called the Baptism of Christ. It was done by the Dutch artist Art de Geld. In 1710, Art de Gelde actually had a very close affiliation with one of the most famous Dutch painters in all of history,
0: Rembrandt Harmenszoon van Rijs. Oh. oh, wow, interesting. You know, Rembrandt became pretty successful in his day, as I'm sure you know, with his paintings and also his etchings, but he had a bit of a problem with overspending. This is kind of a lesser known fact, so I'm just going to tell you guys. He ended up having to declare insolvency or bankruptcy, pretty much. Ended up selling his house, like all of his belongings, his collection of paintings, and his printing press. And then he ended up dying and being declared an impoverished person. And did you know what they did with his remains?
1: Well, the way you're saying it, I'm assuming it's not good. So they desecrated Indeed. his remains. So after,
0: yeah, after dying at the age of 63 in 1669, he was buried in an unmarked grave owned by the church, Jeez. man. Which is interesting because he was known to be an atheist. Oh. But his remains were later dug up. And then they were destroyed, which was a common custom of the times, uh, for the remains of those who were deemed poor. That's fucking bullshit, man. He was already buried in an unmarked grave. What's the point? Why?
1: Who knows? Maybe it was the athe- atheism. Maybe. Well, in this painting, The Baptism of Christ, Art de Gill depicts the baptism of Christ.
0: Oh, you don't say. I do say,
1: the area of Christ and his baptism is lit up by four distinct beams of light being emanated from a disc-shaped craft floating above in the sky. These beams of light going straight down toward Christ. What do you think about that one, Scott?
0: I mean, I have to say, it does look like a disc-shaped craft, and there's like lights like rays coming down, and it just doesn't seem ethereal. It seems very machine-like.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's uh, clearly—I mean, is that a depiction of God? I mean, what is that? Is that Jesus? Is
0: that a depiction of Jesus? What is that? I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those things that it's clearly not a man, and it's not anything that they would have had at that time. So yeah, what could it be? All right, so paintings are one thing, but then we have countless written ancient historical texts from
1: well-known writers from way back when, such as Titus Livius Patavinus, or Livy for short. He chronicled Roman history, and in many of his writings, he mentioned strange craft in the skies. He described many prodigies which he personally witnessed as far back as 214 B.C. Damn! He mentions phantom ships that he said were gleaming in the sky. So tell me, what were these phantom ships gleaming in the sky in 214 B.C.?
0: Ugh, oh, man, that is, like, really spooky. Phantom ships gleaming in the sky, just... 214 B.C. I don't know, bro. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Plutarch. Everyone knows Plutarch. Right, yeah, he's the guy the whole family knows. Always shows up to every party and get together, but nobody really knows him, quote-unquote.
1: Yeah, right, a sort of familiar stranger. So the guy everyone thinks was legitimately invited by someone else, so no you know, questions it, but in reality nobody invited him, and he just always shows up for the drinks and snacks and never says a word except that the bean dip is good.
0: <laughs> right, right, yeah, always good bean dip, for sure. Right, yeah. And for those who don't
1: know, Plutarch was a Greek historian born sometime around 46 AD. His focus was on Roman history, but he was also a biographer and a philosopher. He was also a priest at the Temple of Apollo in Delphi.
0: Oh, yeah. Getting that full fume inhalation, man.
1: Yeah, bro, getting lit. You know, that's how these guys found their inspiration.
0: Yeah, no wonder they were seeing UFOs everywhere.
1: <laughs> anyway, so Plutarch describes in one of his writings a battle that occurred in 74 BC between the Roman army and King Rithridates Sixth of Pontus. In his writing,
2: he mentions the following. With no apparent change in weather, the sky burst asunder, and a huge, flame-like body was seen to fall between the two armies. In shape, it was most like a wine jar, and in color, like molten silver. And there were apparently
1: thousands of witnesses to this event, including King Mithridates himself. So what was this
0: silvery wine jar-shaped craft in the sky in 74 B.C.? Yeah, what could it possibly have been? Like, what what are all these people seeing? I mean, come on, man. Then there's Alexander
1: the Great. He is said to have witnessed UFOs on numerous occasions. But on one such occasion in 329 B.C., he said he curiously observed gleaming silver shields overhead. Now tell me, in 329 B.C., what were these gleaming silver shields overhead? I mean, what could
0: they? They're UFOs, man. UFOs, dog. UFOs. Dog.
1: There's no, no doubt in my mind that we are not the only intelligent or semi-intelligent beings in this vast expanse of whatever the hell all of this really is. I am entirely convinced that many other species of beings exist here with us. Some are certainly malevolent, while others are more benevolent, and perhaps want to help push the human race forward in technological advancements. Who knows? Unfortunately, the government has its own agenda when it comes to UFOs and the alien species that control them. While they have slowly come out to admit some strange happenings, they will not admit that these beings indeed exist with us here on Earth, not yet anyway.
0: I feel like there's going to be a reckoning because pretty soon, too many people are going to record something and then they're not going to be able to explain their way out of it. So Scott, what are your views on the subject? Well, I have to say there's a lot of compelling evidence that these people, even way back in historical times, were seeing real UFOs, man. I mean... What else could they craft like what else could they be in 329 BC gleaming silver shields yeah. that's how they like, that's how he could describe the only like... the only other possibility is that somehow somehow there are pockets of humanity that were undiscovered and unstudied that had somehow reached an advanced level of craft building and were journeying out from wherever they were before who knows what took them out, or maybe they're still around. I don't know. I know that's a crazy idea, but, you know, what else could it be? Hey, dude,
1: ancient Sumerian writings, man, you got to, they talk a lot about all of that.
0: Exactly. You know? Exactly. So, yeah. So, we'll save that for another show, Yeah, we'll save that for another show, for sure. But, yeah, UFOs, man. Well, what do you say we shut her down, Mike? Yeah, let's bloody shut it down for a bloody bloody bodgy bugger bugger. <laughs> Righto, Bodger.
1: thanks everyone for uh, listening in. Bodgy, thanks to bugger. everyone who has subscribed. And
0: again, bugger, please bugger. just you know click that subscribe button. It's incredibly easy. It's astronomically easier than for Coop to say Ireland, apparently. Um, and seriously, though, it would really help us out, and it would really help us improve the show because we want you, the listener, to be happy yeah your happiness is our happiness
1: but if you would like buy us a drink or two you can directly support the show through our Spotify page or you can head on over to our Facebook page or the Paranautica Podcast where you can find a link to PayPal uh, to make a one time donation and also there's a link to Ko-Fi where you can become a monthly subscriber or
0: also a one time donation yeah and for those of you on Spotify that have subscribed thank you so much it's just like thank man, you guys makes Amazing. our day makes us feel like we're not just talking to empty space which when we we're still not doing would this, do we're doing um, this we're talking to empty space if that were you know We would be talking to nobody, and I I would be uh, content. So ladies and gentlemen, podcasting is not easy. It's a lot of work to bring quality content to the listeners on a consistent basis. Your contributions make this podcast better and better every week. So please continue to help us out. We greatly appreciate it. Know that it goes for a good cause. Us bringing you the news. Absolutely. And with that said, let's read a couple of those uh, listener emails.
1: Yes, we love the emails. Keep them coming. The first one comes from Tammy T. from
0: Park City, Utah. Oh, nice. Parley's Park City. Parley's. What's that? Yeah, that was the original name, but it was shortened in 1884 to just Park City.
1: Oh, shit. Didn't know that, man. That's a good idea, though. So Tammy T. says, hello, guys. I don't know what she sounds sounds like. Hello, guys. (laughs) I've listened to every episode so far, and I have to say that you guys are killing it. The show is getting better and better every week, and I'm definitely a fan. I love what you guys are doing and you offer a different approach than most of the other True Crime podcasts I've listened to. The humor is great. The stars are fantastic and the flow is on point. Oh, you're doing really good. Keep up the hard work. Man, it's hard
0: to be a woman. It's difficult. <laughs> wow. That's bang on, man. Nice. Nicely done. Thank you so much, Tammy T. We are happy. You are yes, happy. Your happiness is our happiness. That's right. And this next one from Adam from Wichita. <laughs> Ow. Uh, oh, sorry. That's well. Um, you all. Yeah. He's from Kansas, I believe, actually. So Adam from Wichita says, What's up, dudes? And Wayne Dell just want to say this. Fuck yeah, dude. Seriously. Really great <laughs> podcast you guys have going on. Really digging the <laughs> stories you guys choose to cover. So far, they seem to be stories that aren't covered time and again by literally everybody. That's pretty refreshing. By the way, Scott, your voice is like the sound angels make when they queef. Very angelic and soothing. Take care, dudes.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. Wow, man. Many thanks to you, Adam from Wichita. really appreciate it.
0: You really uh, really get me.
1: (laughs) Making the angels queef, man. I'm telling you, your voice is fucking phenomenal.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll see.
1: You notice. Ladies and gentlemen, I am literally next to Scott uh, right now, talking been, into the same. We have a microphone. sweat.
0: We have a shared sweat spot right now in our shirt true. from our body heat. It is true. It's a it's a interacting zone of moistness that both of us here. are existing in. So thanks for that.
1: All right, give me a give me a hug, buddy. Okay. Re- come here. Come uh, on. All right, yeah, on.
0: bring it in. All, bring on. On. Yeah. all right. come on. Yeah. There okay. Is. Thanks. Thanks. Well, right. Thanks for that.
1: Ugh, you're more sweaty than I thought. I wasn't kidding. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Please feel free to email us at Paranautica at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Paranautica. Follow us on Facebook. You can find us there at the Paranautica Podcast. And don't forget to
0: like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Fuck yeah. Okay, dokyo.
2: Huh.